Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, friends, if you would turn in your Bibles together with me to the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament. For those that need to find it, you can check out your index at the beginning of your Bible. Uh, if you know where the books are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, and then the book of Acts, the book of history. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 And this morning, we are going to read the whole chapter, the whole chapter. I'm looking forward to us to getting to verse 24, where it says that the word of God increased and multiplied. We're continuing a sermon series that's looking at how churches grow, how churches grow. Acts chapter 12, beginning at the first verse, hear the word of God. About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel Left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept on insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. (laughs) And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. 
But motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. He went down from Judah to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God Increased and multiplied. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, this morning I ask, would you, by your Holy Spirit, renew our minds, even at the reading and the teaching of your word? By your Holy Spirit, Lord God, would you stir in our hearts and draw our affections towards the person of Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit and your word. Would you conform our lives towards the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to the next? Would you be glorified in this place, in and through your people? These things I ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, Amen. Let me start with a quote. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian, an early church theologian, wrote those words in 197 AD. How much martyr blood has been spilt to seed the church. Countless, millions upon millions. One study that I read yesterday says 70 million Christians have laid down their lives over the past two eons. Are you surprised? Well, we shouldn't be. Jesus predicted persecution. He said that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Paul wrote, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the church has experienced persecution throughout all the ages. They, they experienced persecution in Jerusalem. They experienced persecution in Galatia. They experienced persecution in Philippi. 
They experienced persecution in Thessalonica. They experienced persecution in Asia Minor. The recipients of the letter to the Hebrews experienced persecution, as did Paul himself. And all the other apostles experienced persecution too. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But how is it that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? How can persecution and suffering result in growth and triumph? Who wins in the end? Acts 12 is about persecution and victory. And how the church grows as God defeats his enemies. And so if we were looking at points this morning, perhaps the first point would be the church is persecuted in verse 1 and 2. We read that about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Acts 11 sets the scene for Acts 12. It was the time that the hand of the Lord was with them. Acts 11 verse 21a. It was the time that a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 11 21b. It was a time that a great many people were added to the Lord, Acts eleven twenty four. It was the time that Barnabas and Saul taught a great number of people, Acts eleven twenty six. It was the time that the Lord's work was flourishing, that the devil launched his attack. And the question that we ask is, would the church stand? Would the church be able to hold out? Would it buckle under pressure? Would it yield to the strain? My dad has an interest in genealogy. He loves to poke around the family tree and discover stories about Penrith's. Like a German grandfather who was an organ builder down in the Eastern Cape, or an ancestor who was President Paul Kruger's private secretary and bodyguard. I wonder what this Herod's lineage was. What's in his family tree? Well, this Herod, spoken about in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Herod Agrippa, who has more skeletons in his cupboard than I have, wasn't a nice guy and he didn't come from a nice family. I say this Herod because Herod is a family name and there are several Herods in the Bible. There is his grandfather, Herod the Great, He is the guy in the Christmas stories, the one who killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who are two years old and under. Not a Christmas story we often read to our young children. There is his one uncle, Herod Archelaus, 
whose reputation for cruelty exceeded Herod the Great. So that when Joseph and Mary came back from Egypt, the family settled in Galilee rather than in Bethlehem. Then there's his other uncle, Herod Antipas, who divorced his first wife and married Herodias, the wife of his brother. He's the fox that had John the Baptist beheaded. Then there is his other other uncle, Herod Philip, who married his other uncle's daughter. And then there is his son, Herod Agrippa II, who had his sister as his wife and put Paul on trial in Caesarea. Herod Agrippa, this Herod, was born into a horrible family tree and he was no different to his kindred. He laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Acts chapter 12 verse 1. The, the, the persecution in Jerusalem was general, but the killing of James was specific. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This James was James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of the disciple John, who together with his brother and Peter saw some of Jesus Christ's greatest miracles, such as the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead and the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. James and John were the two disciples who asked Jesus if they could sit either side of him in his kingdom. Jesus had replied to them that he could not grant that request but prophesied that they would suffer a similar persecution to him. Acts 12, verse 2, is the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy as James becomes the first apostle martyred. The church experienced the pressure of persecution. The strain of opposition lay heavy upon it. Second point, the church prays. So Herod persecutes the church and he kills James. We read in verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, which is sick to even think about, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Like his father, the devil, Herod was a narcissistic megalomaniac. A megalomaniac in that he obsessive desire for power, and a narcissist in that he had a deep need for excessive attention and admiration. When he realized that he, he could gather the support of the Jews, he added to his sin of murdering James with the intent of murdering Peter. And he arrested Peter, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Luke notes that this was during the days of unleavened bread. Why the detail? Because Herod didn't just want to put Peter in prison, he wanted to put Peter to death. But he had to wait because the Jewish law does not allow executions during the eight days of the feast. So with eight days to go, Herod was not taking any chances. When he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Herod must have known of Peter's previous 
malicious, malicious, miraculous jailbreak in Acts chapter 5. So he treats him as a most dangerous prisoner and allocates an absurd amount of security to him. Desperate circumstances for the church in Jerusalem. How would they respond? How could they respond? Is there anything that they could possibly do? Desperate circumstances call for desperate prayers. The persecuted believers turn to God in supplication. They turn to God in intercession. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. First, we discover that their prayer was fervent. It was earnest. It was ardent. It was intense. It was passionate prayer. The kind of prayer that boils. The kind of prayer that burns. The kind of prayer that glows red hot in one's heart. They strained in prayer. Think of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. That's the same word. And his sweat became like drops, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's a graphic picture of the ferocity of the corporate prayer in Acts chapter 12. Second, they prayed in unity. Like at the beginning of the story of Acts. All those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Friends, we fly solo too often when it comes to prayer. Not these saints. These saints came together and they prayed together. They made corporate prayers together. Hell shakes when the united prayers of God's saints rise heavenward. Third, They prayed with purpose. Not a general prayer. Bold supplications were made for a particular need in the moment. Fourth, the prayer was persistence. Like the parable of the widow who kept on coming to the judge to ask for justice. These saints kept on coming to God asking for mercy. The feast of unleavened bread lasted eight days. The prayer service might have gone on all that time. The verb is a present participle, indicating that they kept on asking and asking and asking. They were not going through motions here. This prayer was fervent. This prayer was united. This prayer was purposeful. And this prayer was persistent and it pleased God. God to hear the prayers and use their prayers. Whether 16 gods or an army of 16,000, it made no difference. God's people had whispered in God's ear and would see God's hand move to God's glory. And God's hand moved. He waited until the last moment, but his hand moved to deliver Peter. 
we read that when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding, were guarding the prison. It must have been the last day of the feast of unleavened bread. It must have felt as if Peter's ticket was up. But God, who is never late, stepped in and demonstrated that he is always on his throne. You'll note that Peter is sound asleep, not a care in the world, resting in the arms of his Savior. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. The word behold is a divine spotlight shining on something important in the text. It says, listen up, salvation is at hand. The angel of the Lord issues five commands to Peter. Get up, dress yourself, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter is quickly obedient to each and every command. The jailbreak is over before Peter even knows what happened. His grogginess begins to wear off as he comes into his own and he realizes that the Lord has saved him. He knew where to go. The house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now, this is Mark who ends up going on mission trips with Barnabas and Saul. The same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Peter chose the right house because many were gathered together and praying there. It was not the entire church because no one home could possibly have contained them all. There were thousands and thousands of believers in Jerusalem. But Mary's home was one of the houses where the church was meeting to pray for Peter. And so he knocked. There should be a wooden pew so that you can hear the knocking. So he knocked at the door of the gateway. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She asked, who's there? And he says, Peter. <laughs> and so you would think that she would let him in. <laughs> you would be wrong. Poor Rhoda's a little ditzy. She recognizes Peter's voice but instead of letting him in, in her joy, she ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So you would think that everyone at the prayer meeting, praying that Peter would be delivered, hear that Peter is at the door and they would let him in. You would be wrong. They say to Rhoda, you are out of your mind. You have lost your marbles. You have lost the plot. You're not playing with a full deck of cards. Come on, Rosie. You have gone mad. Verse 15 and 16 in your Bible is a little bit comical. The verbs are all in the imperfect tense, um, continual or repeated action. Rhoda kept on insisting that it was Peter. Um, Peter is at the door. They keep on saying it is his angel, and Peter continues to knock. Repeat cycle. Rhoda insists. They disagree. Peter knocks. Rhoda insists. They disagree. Peter knocks. And you start to get a little bit nervous that they will wake up the entire neighborhood. Peter's broken out of a high-security prison, but he cannot get past the gate of a friend's home. 
After what must have seemed to be forever, they let him in. And he gives an account of what had happened. And he says, tell these things to James, uh, that's the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, and to the brothers. And then Peter skips town because he is a marked man. The next day was to be the day of Peter's execution. And when the day came, there was no little disturbance amongst the soldiers over what had become of Peter. must have terrified the gods. They knew that their lives would be forfeit for the prisoner. And it must have been incredibly embarrassing for Herod. He examined the centuries, and after they proved ignorant, Herod condemned them to execution for incompetency or complicity. Or complicity. So Herod persecutes the church and kills James. And then to win the Jews' favor, he arrests Peter and intends to kill him too. But the church prayed earnestly, and to their surprise, Peter was miraculously released at the 11th hour. But we're not done with Herod yet. Herod is hopping mad with the people of Tyre and Sidon, we are told. There has been a political fallout which has resulted in great animosity between them. A rift has developed between these two city-states and the person of Herod. Luke doesn't explain the circumstances, but he does describe Herod's response. He is seething. Herod had no direct authority over either city, Tyre or Sidon. Um, But as coastal cities, they depended on supplies, food supplies from Palestine. And so Herod cut them off and brought them to their knees. The people of Tyre and Sidon then persuaded the king's chamberlain uh, to champion their cause. And so Blastus organizes a day of reconciliation between the two warring factions. A A day for the parties to meet and for friendly restored relationships to be developed. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Josephus, a first century Roman Jewish historian, records these activities. According to him, on the appointed day was a feast honoring Herod's patron, uh, the Roman emperor Claudius. Herod himself, apparently, on that day, wore a silver garment which reflected the light as it hit it, uh, creating a dazzling and shimmering display. He took his seat on the throne, the beamer seat, the judgment seat, and, and delivered a stirring speech to the people. It was a dazzling display. Was it his dazzling appearance or his polished rhetoric? Or Tyre and Sidon's desire for peace, whatever it was, they began chanting the voice of a God and not of man. The voice of a God and not of man. Can you remember Nebuchadnezzar from the Old Testament? He boasted. He said, is not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident for the glory of my majesty. Foolish pride. God then declared over Nebuchadnezzar, 
You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Because God will not give his glory to another. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. For the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now I've been to this place. This place where these events took place. The amphitheater where the speech was made in Israel, in Caesarea. The amphitheater has an incredible architecture. It has excellent acoustics and it has a breathtaking sea view. I've sat on the impressive throne which Herod sat on. I can imagine the scene. Herod was proud pompous, proclaiming. The crowd was impressed, worked up, praising, crying out over and over the voice of a God, the voice of a God. Herod's heart was swollen with pride, stoked by flattering lips. But pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Herod's death was an appropriate end and an appropriate metaphor to his spiritual state. He had been corrupted from the inside and out. God will not tolerate sharing or stealing the glory that belongs to him alone. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. What kind of worms ate Herod? (laughs) Well, in some ways it doesn't matter. It was a horrible, degrading death. But the Greek word for worm is skoletkobrotos. And the root word, skolex, transliterates into the English as skolex. The, the, the skolex is the head part of intestinal tapeworms. The normal human habitat is the intestinal tract. You could pick up one of these nasty parasites from eating raw fish. A supernatural caused hyperinfection could result in overwhelming bacterial sepsis and finally death. Josephus, that Jewish historian, reports that Herod lay ill for five days before dying, lauded for a moment by all, and then in the next moment consigned to hell for all eternity. Learn from the sin of this distorted, deceived man. Acts 12 begins with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod basking in his popularity. Acts 12 ends with Peter free, Herod dead, and the word of God increasing and multiplying. How can persecution and suffering result 
in growth and triumph. Because when God defeats his foes, he ensures that the gospel triumphs. And who will win in the end? God wins. And those that stand with him. And so by way of application, two brief points on this chapter that we have looked at. The first one is this. Choose life over catastrophe. God defeats his foes and ensures gospel triumph. God wins. And those that stand with him. Two brief applications in light of this truth. First, choose life over catastrophe. The pages of the Bible are full of men who thought that they could fight God and win. Pharaoh fought God and experienced plagues. The death of his firstborn and his army drowned. And the word of God continued to increase and multiply. The king of Canaan fought God and experienced the destruction of his people and their cities. And the word of God continued to increase and multiply. The king of Ai fought God and he was hung. And the word of God continued to increase and multiply. The leader of the Assyrian army fought God and saw his army decimated in battle. And the word of God continued to increase and multiply. The pages of history are full of men who thought they could fight God and win. The philosopher Nietzsche, who said God is dead, was driven insane and now lies dead. And the word of God continues to increase and multiply. The Nobel Prize laureate, Sinclair Lewis, who fought against God and died a hopeless alcoholic. And the word of God continues and multiplies. The author, Ernest Hemingway, who lived a life of decadence, seemingly without consequence, until he blew his head off with a shotgun. And the word of God continues to increase and multiply. All these people are little Herods, shaking their little fists in little rebellion against an almighty God. And then they die and pass into eternal sorrow. And the word of God continues to increase and multiply. What about you? Where do you think your little rebellion will get you? It is appointed for man to die once and after comes judgment. The wages of your sin is death. Are you a sinner? What hope do you have that your ultimate end will be any different to Herod's? Friend, your sin is your problem. You cannot wipe it away. You cannot cover it up. You have no hope that it will, be, that it will not be discovered. You have no hope that it will not be overlooked. You need a savior. Jesus died in your place. 
the righteous for the unrighteous. He paid the debt that you cannot pay. He absorbed the wrath that you could never absorb and he rose from the grave demonstrating that the penalty has been paid and victory has been achieved. Reconciliation with God is available to man. Repent. For the forgiveness of your sins. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Trust in his finished work upon the cross and you will live. Do not delay. Run to his cross today. God defeats his foes and ensures gospel triumph. God wins and those who stand with him. Two brief applications in light of this truth. The first was choose life over catastrophe. The second is grasp onto certain victory, believer. Those of us who are in Christ are on the winning side. And so pray, amen. And so pray with confidence. We see in God's word that God uses the prayers of his people to achieve his will. And so pray. Ask God what you want and be bold about it. If your request is godly, like the restoration of a failing marriage, do not hedge your bets by praying half-heartedly. Lord, if it is your will, restore this failed marriage. If it is your will, restore this failing marriage that your name might be glorified. Pray boldly for what is good. Do not hold back. There is no need to qualify your requests. God's sovereignty isn't threatened and his goodness isn't compromised if you plead earnestly and supplicate shamelessly for good to prevail. He may not choose to alter the circumstances. He may allow Stephen to suffer unjustly. He may allow wicked authorities to deprive the church of a godly leader. Nevertheless, he will honor your earnest desires. If not in the manner that you hope, then in some unexpected way that you cannot foresee. Finally, friends, God wins. And that should give you great hope in a darkened world. God wins. And so, though Satan should buffet and though trials should come, do not despair. God wins. How can it be that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church? Because God is seated on his throne and chooses to use their sacrifice for his kingdom's gain. How can persecution and suffering result in growth and triumph? Because what the world intends for evil, God can turn around for good. Who wins in the end? God wins. And that is certain victory that we can grasp onto even today, even now, to his praise and to his glory. Amen. Let's close in a brief word of prayer. Indeed, Lord, with all your people, we acknowledge that you win. At the end of the days, there will be no one who stands before you, for indeed, you are the victor. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the champion of heaven. 
You came into this world and you won victory on the cross over every foe, defeated at your feet. Help us to live in light of this, that we might live to your praise and to your glory. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.